0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, an eye-opening look at what's happened to crime in places that have defunded the police. We have a very interesting and timely story as our cover story this week, which will air on Sunday, April 18th on full measure. And this started with us wanting to take a look at comprehensive figures to the extent they're available in places that have chosen to defund the police. What's happened in these cities where they've taken money from the police budget or tried to institute other systems? It turns out there have already been some Dramatic, apparent consequences. So Scott Thuman looks into that for us this week. And what he ended up doing was going back to Minneapolis, where he reported for us earlier last year, after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, while Floyd was in police custody, he reported on the calls to defund the police there and change the system in the wake of criticism of how the police have handled cases. And most interesting, what he discovered on his trip was when he talked to community leaders, many of them minorities, African-American and other minorities, he found pretty universal sentiment that they did not want to abolish the police or defund the police. So while there was a sense that maybe some changes could be made or needed to be made, a lot of people were worried about what was coming. And in fact, during Scott Thuman's visit there, There had been people in communities that hired ex-soldiers to help protect them because the police were not responding uh, to neighborhoods. There was a lot of change and chaos going on. Here's one excerpt of that report that Scott Thuman did, which we aired September of last year. The first time in, in my history of working in this community and living in this community, I am afraid. I am afraid. Kathy Span a leads a community council in North Minneapolis and agrees there needs to be massive reforms, but she is not okay with getting rid of the police, as some suggest. Our city council is talking about defunding and dismantling the police department, the only entity that I know right now that can keep me safe. You are not going to leave me unprotected in my house. And you're going to tell me that you're going to disband the Minneapolis Police Department and without a plan of action that says that this is what the alternative is. In Minneapolis, the question of what the new law and order will be is a frightening prospect. So Scott Thuman just went back to Minneapolis now to see what's happened since. And as it happens, as you probably know, There was outrage, chaos, and rioting on the streets in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis, because there was another incident in which a black suspect was shot and killed at the hands of police. This time it was caught on tape. You can find clips of this if you'd like to see online. I also put it at CherylAckison.com. You can see body cam videos show some of what happened. Several police officers were attempting to make an arrest of a man that they stopped on a traffic violation because it turned out he had an outstanding criminal warrant against him, something involving an alleged gun crime or gun offense. And one of the officers was trying to handcuff the man by the car, the vehicle. And you see the man violently break away, push away. There's sort of a struggle. The man gets into his vehicle, somehow manages to get inside and is about to pull off. And a female officer on the scene, looks like there were maybe three officers there, she points her weapon at the suspect, who I guess she would say the police officer could have been reaching for a gun or who knows in this violent attempt to resist arrest. And she, by most accounts, apparently meant to pull out her taser because she gives the taser warning, taser, 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 and then fires at the suspect as he's continuing to elude police And the car kind of rolls off or the door shuts and it goes, but he's been shot. And the female police officer immediately seems to know that she's, according to her, accidentally shot the man with her gun rather than with the taser. So that's what happened. A lot of chaos after that with resignations in the police department. The police officer now facing charges uh, because the man, Dante Wright, died. I believe the car rolled forward or went several blocks before he died of a gunshot wound to his chest. Naturally, there are many questions about this. There have been protests and riots. So it's against that backdrop that Scott Thuman is back. And he's reminding us that it was last summer when there were nine members of the Minneapolis City Council who voted to dismantle the police department. And what they said they wanted to do was move to to some sort of undefined, undetermined system to handle the city's emergencies. So he speaks to, Scott, Don Samuels, who's a community organizer and a civil rights activist who's lived in North Minneapolis for about 20 years. And Don Samuels tells Scott, you know, we saw our city council with big letters across the front of the podium saying defund the police. But Samuels says they live in communities there where a lot of people are only restrained by factors like knowing the police are out there. He is an African-American, and he goes on to say that it used to be, before all of these changes, at least where he lives, they would hear maybe one gunshot every now and then. But he told Scott, it seems like now you hear 20 shots at a time going off, and they're more frequent. Well, the city council voted to divert $9 million from the police budget, a budget of about $178 million, and the $9 million was supposed to go to violence prevention, and mental health. And that's kind of what many cities are doing across the country, big cities, as it turns out. They're making dramatic cuts, they're trying out new sort of undefined or loosely defined systems. New York, for example, took a billion dollars from its police force. Washington, D.C. has cut $15 million from their police force. And listen to this, in Austin, Texas, and Los Angeles, California, They have each trimmed $150 million from their police budgets. Well, what's happened since? Those cities and many others have seen alarming spikes in violent crimes, especially homicides. So let's look at the increase in homicides in those cities. In Los Angeles, they are reporting homicides up 38%. In Austin, Texas, homicides are up 41%. Washington, D.C., up 14% and in New York, up 48%. What about Minneapolis? The homicide rate there jumped 70% in 2020, and violent crime overall was up 22%. I'm going to expand on that a little bit with some numbers that were published in an article in The Hill that said 66 cities that responded to a year-end violent crime survey that's put out by something called the Major City Chiefs Association They collectively saw 1,990 more murders in 2020 than 2019 in these 66 cities, which is about half of the 4,000 additional murders that experts have estimated occurred in 2020. So again, about half of additional murders expected in 2020 occurred in 66 major cities who responded to a survey. So this article gives a little background that says that in 1991, the U.S. had about 25,000 homicides. And if you figure that out to a rate, it's 9.8 homicides per 100,000 people. And then, as in now, the article says that was heavily concentrated, the death toll in cities. New York City accounted for about 10% of all the homicides nationwide back in 91. Another 10% combined with Chicago, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C., But, representing one of the greatest victories by the turn of the century, by around 2,000, says the article, annual homicides were down by more than 9,000, and that was a decline that was largely due to a decline around America's urban centers. So, although the final numbers aren't in, the estimates in this article from criminologists were that 2020 would have, for the first time since the mid-90s, more than 20,000 criminal homicides again. And yet again, of course, a big number of those were occurring in urban jurisdictions in cities, both big, medium, and small size. So let's go over some of them. New York reported 150 additional homicides and more than 750 additional shootings in 2020, which adds up to increases of 45% for homicides and 97% increase in shootings in 2020. What about Chicago? They saw 274 more homicides and 1,435 additional shootings in 2020. That's up 55%. According to the article, Los Angeles had homicides jump 38% or by nearly 100, with shootings spiking about 40%. Washington DC, well, they closed 2020 with homicides up. That was the third year in a row. By 20%, they had 32 more deaths in Washington, D.C. than the year before. In Philadelphia, they were about 499 homicides, a 40% increase over the year before. Louisville, their homicides jumped by more than 70%, which set a record that was set in 2016. In Cincinnati, homicides spiked more than 28%, reaching a record of 94 homicides in 2020. In Detroit, shootings and homicides went up as well. Shootings up 53%. Homicides in Detroit up 19%. Shootings in Providence, Rhode Island doubled. Homicides rose from 13 total homicides in Providence, Rhode Island, to 18 homicides in 2020. Homicides also jumped for the second straight year in Minneapolis. We talked about that. Uh, They had 84 deaths in 2020, their highest tally, Since 1995. Again, all of these stats since these moves to sort of de emphasize or defund or transform the police force. Cleveland reported its highest murder tally since 1982 after a nearly 40% spike in killings in 2020. Going on with this article in The Hill, Houston had 413 murders in 2020, a 42% increase. Indianapolis, a 40% increase, Denver, a 50% increase, and Fresno, California saw its homicide numbers spike by 64%. These are big numbers, and I think you could reasonably ask the question how much of it can be attributed to defunding the police or some of these problems that have been encountered, or how much of it might be due to other factors, such as was there something about the coronavirus shutdowns that increased violent crime and homicides. And I did read an interesting article that made a very good case for these spikes or increases being almost entirely due to the atmosphere with the pressure to defund the police or cause them to step back. You can read up on that if you like and form your own conclusions. But there's no doubt in the minds of at least some residents who live in these cities that the defunding or the moving money outside of the police budget and the general atmosphere has directly impacted things, making life less safe in some of these communities and leading to this spike in violent crime. More after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. We're back and we're talking about our cover story this week on Full Measure, which is brought to us by Scott Thume and a really interesting look, sort of an update on what's happened in some American cities after this movement to move money from the police department budget, in many cases millions upon millions of dollars. He's back in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to see what the impact is. And he spoke to one resident, a man named Jonathan Lundberg, that shows Scott on his front stoop that he and his wife saw sort of a piece of siding that appeared to be chipped in recent months, and they kind of dug in there and found that it was a bullet that had been fired into the side of his house. Then he says they found another in his daughter's bedroom wall. And in his view, anyway, he finds a direct correlation to what he calls the deflation of the police department and the escalation of violence, because he says people feel emboldened and think to themselves, well, I'm not going to get caught. I can get away with whatever I want to right now. For his story, Scott Thuman also caught up with Kevin Davis, who used to be Baltimore's police commissioner. Boy, what a troubled city in many respects. Kevin Davis was... Baltimore Police Commissioner in 2017, when Baltimore was having its own riots and unrest and chaos following the death of a black suspect named Freddie Gray while in police custody. By the way, the officers who were charged were accused of giving Freddie Gray what's called a rough ride on the way to the police station by not securing him in the back of a police van, during which time he apparently was injured and hurt his spine and later died. And there were many accusations of racism. I don't think it was widely reported that of the six police officers charged, half of them, three of them, were African-American. There were uh, three white men and three African-Americans, two men and one woman. I think it's, it becomes more difficult to make the case that a death of somebody or of a suspect involved racism when there are no overt statements and when the officers involved are African-American. Not impossible to make the case, but it becomes more difficult. And that happens quite frankly in quite a few of these instances I've found. And by the way, how did that turn out? Well, three of the officers were charged with manslaughter. One of them was charged additionally with second-degree depraved heart murder, which carried a possible penalty of 30 years in prison. They had separate trials, and first was Officer Caesar Goodson Jr., an African-American. The jury was unable to reach a verdict after hearing testimony, and the judge in the case declared a mistrial. Next was a white officer named Edward Nero. He was declared not guilty after the evidence was presented by means of a bench trial. I believe that means there wasn't a jury. The judge decided himself. Then Officer Goodson was tried again, the African-American officer, and acquitted of all charges. William Porter, another African-American officer, was tried. He got a mistrial, meaning the jury was a hung jury, could not make a decision. He was scheduled for a second trial But all charges against him were ultimately dropped because prosecutors, I think, saw the writing on the wall. They were unable to get convictions in these cases based on the evidence that they presented. Officer Brian Rice had been found not guilty in a trial by a judge, and charges again also were dropped against Sergeant Alicia White, who was an African-American female officer. So really by July of 2016, um, after all of These trials and attempts to prosecute the remaining charges left against any of the officers were all dropped. Then, as has happened with other cases like this, when they cannot get convictions at the local level, there is a push for the feds to come in, the Department of Justice, and kind of give another bite at the apple and try to convict these people of federal charges. But in September of 2017, the Justice Department announced that there would be no federal charges against the six Baltimore police officers. Nevertheless, Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake agreed to pay Freddie Gray's family $6.4 million in a settlement. So I got off on that tangent a little bit because as I mentioned, Scott Thuman caught up with a former Baltimore police commissioner, Kevin Davis, who has since left the police profession and he's teaching college students now in criminal justice. And he reflects upon this movement to defund or dismantle or abolish the police, and he sees it as initially a well-intentioned effort to enhance and make things better. But he said once those words were used and kind of stuck, especially the idea of defunding the police or dismantling the police force, he says he thinks that distracted from the reforms that really needed to take place in some of these police jurisdictions. And Scott asks him, Well, how do you find the balance between making reforms and making things better, but not dismantling the entire force or taking money away from areas that have to have the money? And really, uh, Kevin Davis answered by just talking about policing being a very difficult job and so important in terms of sometimes very young officers without a whole lot of experience. They're entrusted with the ability to take someone's life if they have the justification. Hopefully they're properly trained to use deadly force. Hopefully they make the right decisions in the heat of the moment, but that's not always the case. And he says, of course, those are awesome responsibilities. And now probably more and more young people are being given opportunities in police forces because veteran officers are retiring early or they're taking extended leave And in some cases, they can't even find people to fill the holes. They're down uh, on their police force with the numbers that they want to have or are supposed to have. So that brings us to another point of Scott Thuman's story. When he talks to the resident that we spoke about in the beginning of this podcast, Samuels, who's an African-American. Well, he and his neighbors are suing the city now to add more police to the police department. And that's based on a very interesting per capita mandate that the city has in its charter. According to this charter, Minneapolis must have, based on how many people live there, about 750 police officers right now. But the problem is so many of them in this atmosphere have quit or have taken long-term leave. The department is short, 100 officers below the number that they're supposed to have by law. That's according to... To James Dickey who's the attorney for a group of Minneapolis residents who are suing. Now the Minneapolis police chief says he agrees there need to be more officers and the mayor agrees as well. So listen to this. They recently have put 6.4 million tax dollars into recruiting new officers. So again after they pull that money out of the budget they're finding they have to put money millions of dollars back into the budget for another purpose. And that's not just the case in Minneapolis. Some of these cities we've talked about that were making big budget cuts to the police departments, they're also trying to refund parts of these departments, adding resources, uh, spending more money for better officer training, spending more money for hiring mental health counselors, people who are better skilled to handle 911 calls. So I, I think one of the takeaways is, and Kevin Davis, the former Baltimore Police Commissioner said, these enhancements cost money. They require more money, not less money. So at the same time, people are using terms like defund and dismantle. The real reforms that he thinks are needed in some cases are ones that cost more money, not less. I hope you will check us out on Sunday so that you can see the full story. That's April 18th. And we have some other interesting original reporting coming up as well, as we always do. I will have an interview with Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin, who's been asking a lot of questions after the January Capitol riots. And he has not, in every instance, had much luck in getting answers several months later. So we will have that interview. Also, I will be speaking to a couple that I met when I was shooting some stories in Nashville, Tennessee, And I will just tease it by saying, if you think you had a bad 2020, and I know a lot of people did, wait until you hear what this couple went through. I mean, one thing after another, almost unimaginable. But it's a good story in terms of people who are able to stay optimistic and move forward with their lives despite the biggest sorts of challenges. So I hope you'll watch for that as well. You can check out Full Measure by going to CherylAckison.com. If you click the Full Measure tab at the top, you will get a list of stations by state, so you can find one wherever you live. Or if there isn't one or if it's inconvenient, you can watch anytime at fullmeasure.news, online at fullmeasure.news. You could either watch the live broadcast at 9.30 online Eastern Time, 9.30 a.m. Sundays. You can also watch replays for free anytime. You can watch last week's program right now at fullmeasure.news. And the day that this program airs, around noon after the show airs, we will post the segments at fullmeasure.news. You can also catch us on the app Stir, S-T-I-R-R, free app, free shows, free movies, all kinds of things on Stir, including Full Measure, which you can see live or replays. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm trying to shed light on and give voice to various views, scientific studies, factual information that others are trying to censor in this very dangerous environment. Whether I agree with the views or not, that's not what's important. It's to protect the free flow of information in America. And here's how we can defeat information control. Go to CherylAckison.com and check out the Censored tab for more stories and information on censored people, topics, and studies left, right, and nonpartisan. When you hear that powerful interests or big tech are trying to censor or ban or controversialize information and keep you from getting it, that should be your signal to find out more about the topic that they're trying to control. Also, I hope you will check out my book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Read the reviews on Amazon of Slanted, and it might help convince you that there's information here you need. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.